So why don't we just start, uh, you can tell us a little bit about yourself and the ministry that you do. Yeah, right on. So first of all, just start with, uh, it's going to be difficult for the translator. Asiamitanasieya. Asiamitanasieya. Itsapu waliyal. Anta chan. Delitsan ak lakamel. Hello, my friends. Uh, how are you all doing this morning? Uh, my name is John, and I am from Lik Amal. Uh, Lik Amal is uh, east of Mission. Uh, I don't know, 15 minutes east of Mission. And we have the new gas station that has the Tim Hortons there. That's ours. <laughs> uh, I also want to say um, kind of something that carries a gigantic uh, spiritualness to it. Uh, and it, and it's, uh, it seems so simple, uh, but if you dig into the depths of it, it really is gigantic. And so I want to say to those of you that want to uh, be here on this land and journey well uh, with the First Nation people, with a good mind and a good heart and a good way, to you, I want to say, Mitzakutwilam tana tamuch, ha ha tamuch. Ayama Tomuk. And uh, in those words, I say, welcome to this land. Welcome to this land, uh, this sacred land, because it is created by the Creator. And welcome to this beautiful land, because it is beautiful. Uh, what was the question? Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the ministry that you, mm. you do with BCMB and anything else you want to tell us about? You and your family? Yeah. So I have uh, a beautiful wife. She is Hanitam, beautiful white, white lady. And uh, we have three children with us. One that has uh, passed away was only with us for 36 hours. That was a really difficult time. Uh, something where I learned that it is greatly important to have a church body to surround you in, in moments like that. I don't know how people can go through that without the support. Um, the ministry, the ministry is kind of a two-pronged deal, I keep hearing. When I first got into it, I, I came from, uh, okay, let me start with, I'm part of the 60 scoop. So I was stolen from the hospital. Um, my older half-sister tells me that I was, the, the nuns came three times to ask my mom to sign the papers to give me up, and she wouldn't do it. So the nuns took me anyways. And uh, they took me and they fostered me out to a... Uh, a white family on uh, Vancouver Island. And I was fostered for two years, and after that two years, I was adopted. I was adopted to a white family over in, uh, on the mainland here. First it was Maple Ridge, and then shortly after we moved to Langley. And I've spent most of my life uh, in, in Langley. Um, I didn't have the kind of trauma story that a lot of the residential school or 60 Scoop people uh, do. Uh, my trauma would have come from just not knowing who I am as a homo person, uh, not knowing my language, not knowing my spirituality, and not knowing my culture. And in not knowing those uh, three to four very, very specific things is exactly kind of what residential school is about. It's what the uh, foster care system is for the most of it about if you're an indigenous person. And it's what uh, the 60 scoop was about. And, and they all have really behind them the same mandate, which is to 
take the Indian out of the, out of the person or out of the child and you will be left with something uh, good to be absorbed into the Canadian politic. I'm not really sure what that last part means, but to me it sounds kind of gross. Um, so my, my ministry, uh, as, as being that, who I am from birth and being part of the 60 Scoop and then having my parents and, and my blood parents and uh, grandparents and aunties and uncles and stuff like that that I have now been able to meet, um, go through residential school and hear the stories through cousins and hear the stories firsthand from aunties and uncles and and stuff like that. From all that gathering up, like right from the beginning, it seems like that God has positioned me in a place because my my beautiful white wife has uh, woke up one morning and she always knew who Jesus was because she went to uh, her friend that she used to hang out with or still does. Uh, went to church three times on Sunday. So they, they knew who God, the Holy Spirit, and, and Jesus were. And my wife did too, because she gave her heart uh, to the Lord at a, uh, at a youth camp. And uh, so uh, one morning she woke up, and God had always been calling her back. I was way off the path. Uh, she veered off the path with me. But God was always calling her back. And uh, one morning she got up, and we had already moved in together, lived together, had children together. And uh, finally, I think we had gotten married, and then she figured we could go to church because she didn't want to be judged for not being married. Not that the church is judgy, but that's how she felt. Ha, 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 ha. But uh, so she woke up one morning, and she said, I'm going to church. And uh, uh, you can come or stay home, but I'm taking the kids with me. And I, I come out of a whole bunch of shenanigans uh, and uh, foolishness and... I uh, felt that I was pretty tough, pretty cool, uh, six foot three almost, 250 pounds back then, and, and not afraid of anyone. Uh, I really felt I could defend myself, not afraid of anyone, so I had this uh, attitude, whatever, I'm not afraid of God, I'll go to church, which is kind of a funny way for him to get me there with that attitude, but he did. And so uh, we went to church. And it carried on and on and on. And I thought I was there for my wife and my children. But one day I found myself sitting in the seat. And my wife wasn't there. And my children weren't there. And I'm like, well, if this is for my wife and my children, why am I here by myself? And so that kind of really uh, sunk the, the journey in a little bit deeper for me, knowing that it's not just for my wife and my children. And uh, so that journey carried on. It's been maybe 20, 24 years now that uh, I have known, and I say this, and I even said it to my pastor one time, and he was a little bit like, what? But I say that uh, through that journey, I have been able to uh, meet and experience uh, who white Jesus, white Holy Spirit, and white God is. And my pastor was pretty shocked when I first said that, and he was, and he was like, and then finally he goes, oh, I guess that's who I know then, or who I preach. And, but uh, sort of, kind of, you know, there's cultural differences, yes. But uh, so through all that gathering of 24 years or 25 years of being in the church, and, and, then, and in the last 14 of it maybe, knowing who my homoch family is, my blood family, and meeting them, and being part of ceremony, and being part of 
the community and, and hanging out with aunties and uncles and, and cousins and all that. All that gathering together has allowed me to understand kind of almost like I understand this side of the fence. Over here, we were talking about the grass being greener on the other side of the fence. I kind of understand that side of the fence and I, maybe I wonder, was the grass greener on the other side? So now I want to experience who Jesus is as a dark-haired, dark-eyed, dark-skinned tribal boy that he actually really is. And so that journey takes me in, in two different directions. It takes me in a direction of, of uh, what is my ministry? So it, it's kind of to try and help the church, uh, and not this building, but the church as the people, to understand who Jesus is as that dark-haired, dark-eyed, dark-skinned tribal boy, and how much he really does love uh, First Nation people, First Nation children, and, and, and uh, the First Nation communities. But not just that part of it, to understand that how 450 years of mission work and journey with the church to the communities, and I would say this is a church that kind of stands out in that, I would ask, oh church, where is your First Nation fruit? It's been 450 years. So... You know, I know this church journeys because I, I, there, there's something that this church and I have in common, and that common part kind of is uh, Inner Hope Youth Ministries. We, we both have the joy and the... <laughs> we both have the joy, honor, and privilege of working with uh, Jenny and her incredible crew and uh, incredible uh, youth uh, through that ministry. And so uh, I get to speak to organizations. I get to speak to... Um, churches, I get to speak to Christian schools, and just kind of try and share in that journey of 450 years, uh, whether it's an organization, a church, or a school, I kind of ask that story again, oh church, where is your First Nation fruit? Because the Bible does say uh, you will know them by their fruit. You will know them by their fruit. And we just really, we're really lacking on the First Nation fruit in the tree. And uh, so I, I think things have to be done differently. So I suppose part of my ministry is to share with the churches on how really wrong the journey has been. Um, and try to share the concept of things really, really, really have to be done in a different way. Because if we continue to do the same thing over and over and over and over again and expect a different result, there's a very specific term for that. And to that I would say, oh church, please stop the insanity. Uh, we, do, we need to do things differently. So that's kind of my message that I would try and share with the church, to the church, and through the church. And then the other part is to try and bring the gospel in a good way to the communities. Uh, try and bring the gospel in a good way to the communities. I get to, I get to share with the pastor tomorrow, and he asked me some pretty pointed questions, and uh, and I and I just I would like to ask him some questions back. I think, and and uh, one of them is just like, well, how have you been journeying and, and uh, reaching out to the communities, and. Uh, how has that been working for you? Because the last 450 years have not gone well. So when you share the good news, and it depends on which side of the fence you want to stand on, but when you share the good news, 
in a way that, uh, so on the Juanitum side, Juanitum side, uh, it seems like the good news is shared as we have come from Europe, we're better than you, you don't use the land well, we're going to take it and use it in a better way, you're not Christian, we are, you're sort of savage and subhuman, so uh, that's the doctrine of discovery. And then through the doctrine of discovery, uh, that's how the <laughs> Pope and the Queens sent over their message, was through the doctrine of discovery. And then the doctrine of discovery needs to be uh, played out for it, to, for it to function as the rules were laid out for the doctrine of discovery. You have to colonize, and to colonize you have to assimilate, and to assimilate... You're basically, it's being said that our skin is too dark, our hair is not the right color, our eyes are too dark, our language is gibberish, our spiritual ways are no good, our culture is wrong. So we need to be more like you, so we're assimilated in. So who we are is not good enough. And that's how the good news was brought in. Uh, we're subhuman, savage, and not good enough. That's the first first part of the journey and then we get into the residential school that that says uh, very specifically the mandate is if we can take the Indian out of the child we will be left with a good being to be absorbed into the Canadian politic so that doesn't sound like very good news to me either and then the 60 scoop that says that you don't know how to look after your children. We're not going to talk about because we broke you so badly, but you don't know how to look after your children, so we're going to take your children away from you because you can't raise them. So in the... I'm doing all the talking here. Sorry about that. But so in the, in the 60 scoop, um, the, uh, the children are taken away. And that doesn't sound like good news. I, there's a lot of children here. What a painful thing to think that they weren't able to be here with you. So that doesn't sound like good news. And then we move into the foster care system where, where maybe 12% of the population that we are as First Nation people, but we hold 40, 40 to 60% of the children that are in the foster care system. So somehow, some way, that is greatly broken and not functioning well. So the whole way through, the, well, where's the good news? So as a person in the community or even people that are not in the community because it's been so broken that they've spread out into the cities, as, as these people, how has the good news been shared? And it's kind of, I don't know, I think our fruit in the tree shows it. It's not been shared well. So we have to do something different. Something has to be done different. Part of my ministry is to try and share um, what does it look like to think differently? What does it look like to do things differently? Yeah, so from there I could probably shoot off on a bunch of different rabbit trails. But That's great, thank you for sharing. Um, a couple of things I'll just mention. So uh, we have a number up here for text. So if you look, see me looking at my phone, that's why. Uh, John's going to take a few questions or you can ask some questions to me if you want. Uh, we'll probably open it up that you can just ask them at the end. Um, but if you don't feel comfortable, feel free to text them to that number, and we'll get to some of them. And uh, so go ahead and feel free. There's lots of terms that are being thrown around that may be new to you, or ideas that may be new to you and are comfortable to you. And uh, so also make a lot of space after the gathering to come and, and ask about that, or ask for resources to learn more information. And uh, I'm sure John would be happy to chat with you more about uh, his experience. Yeah, I'm not in a hurry to get anywhere, so that would be awesome. There we go, we'll party on. Um, 
I, so I only have two more questions, so I'm hoping that you'll think of some questions to, to uh, ask John. The, one of the things, as we chatted, um, John was talking about, you had a, a perspective about the difference between reconciliation, that we talk about a lot in Canada and as the church, and of course has overlap with our faith, this idea of reconciliation, and the idea of conciliation. Um, so would you share a little bit about that uh, from your own heart and, and, and ministry perspective? Yeah, so I kind of, over the last little while, have, uh, okay, to start with reconciliation. Uh, when I looked it up, or when I, actually I Googled it, and Google uh, spoke it to me, because I don't read well, so I use Google, and Google speaks. So I asked Google, what's reconciliation? And, and uh, Google told me that it is... Uh, going back to right relationship. It's a returning to. And so if you were to ask in the communities, uh, what do you think of reconciliation? Uh, a gigantic percentage, and I would think it's even the communities, whether it be on a reserve land or communities that are in the, uh, in the urban areas, um, that they would tell you that reconciliation isn't really a proper uh, use or term for that because it means going back to right relationship. And in the 450 years, 500 years that we have experienced, there never really has been right relationship. There's been a very small moment where Christopher Columbus was found lost wandering on the shoreline and invited in for a meal. Well, that's a very key word there, invited in. When he was invited in, that changes everything changes everything. So he was invited in for a meal. He came in, shared the meal. But as he shared the meal, or shortly after he shared that meal, there was seen resources in the land. And those seen resources were wanted by Christopher Columbus, and they were wanted by him to bring back to his motherland. And so there complicates the, uh, the situation that there is now an inconvenient Indian that is in the way. And there's a book about it. That'll be one of the first resources I would shout out there. There's a book called The Inconvenient Indian that explains all that very, very well. But that invitation part is, uh, is kind of critical. So uh, from there moving forward, there's not a lot of good relationship. It's everything that I already explained. So the most homoch uh, people, most uh, people of the land, would say that that word doesn't work very well. But uh, I kind of try and honor it because uh, our elders used it in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that went across Canada. But there's a very important part of that sentence that allows that word to have um, maybe the value that it sort of deserves, but we have taken away from it. But the word is truth. Uh, without knowing the truth, we can't get to the reconciliation part. So there, there has to be knowing the truth. I, I kind of, I journey a little bit and use, uh, started to use more so the word conciliation. I just took the re part off. Uh, I didn't even know if it was a real word or not, but I think it was Googled and Google said it was. But it, to me, it more meant um, coming together now and trying to move forward in a good way. So not going back to right relationship that never was there, but coming together now and moving forward in a good way. Uh, more so what I use lately, uh, and especially kind of since the uh, uh, pandemic COVID period of time where uh, God has been sharing quite a bit with me, I use the term uh, rightnessness of relationship. It's kind of a fun word, rightnessnessness. 
can all say it with me if you want. Rightnessnessness. It's a fun word. Rightnessness of relationship. Uh, I really believe that the Creator is asking us to move into a rightnessness of relationship. And uh, in that, there is, there's, uh, so for us to move, why do we need to be in relationship anyways? Is there any kind of, like everything that has happened in the 450 years, is there really a reason uh, outside of the church? Is there a reason for us to be in relationship? Inside the church now, is there a reason for us to be in relationship between being homoch and chenitim, people of the land and newcomers, host people and newcomers? Is there a reason, as the church, is there a reason for relationship? Does it have a value? Relationship. That's, that's a... Key word that is so important relationship. So I don't read I don't read very well, and uh, because I don't read very well, I try and listen to the Bible a lot. Uh, I don't think I listen to it enough. Uh, so I ask God to speak to me in other ways. Can you speak to me through my beautiful wife, uh, my wonderful children? Well, usually they're wonderful. <laughs> we those of us that have children know. Uh, um, through creation, even through uh, media, YouTube, uh, and he has, but that's another story for a different time. So in, in not reading as, as much as I should, I, I ask God, I go, I know I'm probably cheating, but I want to ask you a question to God, the creator. I said, I don't read enough, so if I was to take the Bible and put it in a pot of water, and boil it and boil it on a hard boil for a long time. And then after that long time of boiling, put it on simmer. And just let it simmer for a long time. I said, what, what is in there that is critical or very important for me to know? What is it that is in there that is so important? And it was a little bit funny because he didn't answer me right away. I asked him again, and he didn't answer. And I asked him again, and he didn't answer. And I asked him again. And after a while, finally he said, Well, John, if you were to boil the Bible for a very long time, and then put it on simmer, and let it simmer for a long time, what it is that would work its way out of there and come up to the top, what is, what is greatly important in there, is salvation. Salvation. And I was like, Oh, I, yeah, I like that. And so... <laughs> We're kind of doing this indigenous uh, credentialing so that I can be a pastor as an indigenous person, and it's done in indigenous ways, so it's way different than how a pastor would normally become a pastor. So in, in trying to be a pastor or ask pastor kind of questions, I asked God, can you unpackage that a bit for me? Because I thought that was a very pastoral kind of question. <laughs> can you unpackage that word for me a little bit? And uh, he said that... Uh, well, John, uh, salvation. How to obtain salvation so that I have it. And how to maintain salvation so that I can kind of keep it and, and not veer too far off the path. And then what is gigantically important is how to share salvation so that others can have this opportunity to experience eternity 
with the Father. And I was like, wow, that's, that's awesome. And so as we began, or as he began to unpackage that salvation for me a little bit, I felt like he was sharing with me, and this is where it gets a little bit sketchy, that uh, he, he was saying to me, and uh, you can correct me on my theology after, I got lots of time, but he was saying to me that God the Father, all by himself, just God the Father, cannot offer us our salvation. And then he said, God the Holy Spirit, all by himself, cannot offer us our salvation, all by himself. And Jesus, as awesome as he is, and full of love and healing and power, cannot offer us our salvation all by himself. But the three of them, an incredible relationship, covered with love, births salvation into existence. And then he shared with me the simple story where the creator created all things. And in that creation, he created a garden. And in that garden, he created man. And from man, he created woman. And he said to man and woman, the garden is created for you and everything in it is good. All of it is for you. Eat of everything in the garden. Oh, but that tree. Don't eat of that tree. And then so when God left, the serpent came and deceived the woman because man wasn't standing strong beside her. He was there, just not standing strong. So the woman is deceived and bites the fruit. She hands it to the man, the man bites the fruit. Through disobedience, sin enters the world. And when sin enters the world, death is now in the world because of sin. And God needs to bring it back into rightnessness. And to bring it back into rightnessness, there has to be a sacrifice. So the son gets sacrificed. But to sacrifice something, to to me, something is not a sacrifice, a big sacrifice. And this has to be big because there's over 7 billion people in the world whose sins need to be atoned for. So the sacrifice has to be big enough to cover all those people's sins. And to me, a a big sacrifice is only a big sacrifice if you greatly love what is being sacrificed. Love is the power. Love, you have to love what is being sacrificed. So the Father greatly loves the Son. Greatly loves the Son with enough love that will cover over 7 billion people's sins. So Jesus, being obedient, goes to the cross and dies. Jesus is fully man and fully God, but the fully man part says he's fully dead. And that could be the end of the story, which would be a bummer. But thankfully, it's not the end of the story because three days later, the love of the Holy Spirit and the power of God raised Jesus up. And when Jesus is raised up from the dead, death is defeated, sin is conquered, and this ability now to spend eternity with the Father is available or otherwise known as our salvation is birthed into existence. We now have the ability to spend eternity with the Father because of what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit did in relationship covered with love. It was the love of the Father for the Son. It was the love of the Holy Spirit for the Father and the power of God that raised him up. Those kinds of love and that kind of relationship births salvation into existence. So then how... 
do we as newcomers come to this land and push the host people to the side and say, I will build my church and there is nothing and nobody that will stop me. And they do and they did. And they build the churches and they're beautiful and big. And they fill the churches. And once the churches are full, they begin to worship. And they worship in their churches. And sometimes, if it's not a Mennonite church, or even in sometimes the Mennonite churches, they put their arms in the air. And they say, oh Lord, we love you and we worship you. For you and you alone are worthy to be praised. We ask, Lord, that you would pour out blessing upon us, that we may be a blessing to those that are around us. Whilst we stand on the head of the host people of this land. And I am pretty confident that the Father is up there in heaven eating his Philly cream cheese, saying that that is not relationship that births salvation into existence. So I have to ask church, one, where is your First Nation fruit? And two, is relationship between the host people of the land and the newcomers, or more so, is the relationship between the host people of the land and the church important? Or three, is relationship important? To me, relationship is what births salvation into existence. That's what the Creator told me in that story. Is relationship important? So how do we get there? That's good. Thanks for sharing. Um, I think it's important for us to be able to sit in um, these things that you're saying and process them. They don't just happen. I think that part of sometimes what we do in church is try to just hit the wrap it up button. Let's feel better and get out of here so that we can do that type of stuff. So I don't want to shortcut that process. At the same time, though, I want to respond to what you're saying and ask you a couple questions back. Uh, so two, two more. The first is uh, we talked about this a little bit in some of the questions that have come up. Uh, also reference it. So I'll use myself as an example. My, my, my family of origin was not here during any of those times. They're immigrants to Canada more recently, and as we look around, uh, some of us are also in that boat um, where our family are recent immigrants and we're part of that. Um, so we, we can have a complicated history towards, uh, even though there's lots of uh, sadness and empathy and sympathy, mixed with an inability to know exactly what we should be doing. Um, but as Christians, uh, how can we, from your perspective, is there, is there something that you want to, a message for us, I guess? And maybe I'm referencing that story that you told about the house, mm -hmm. walking into the house, if you want to share. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, try and keep that and remember. I just want to sh share one other part, though, as Christians. Uh, uh, that, that was kind of a, a key part that I just heard as Christians. So as Christians, uh, Christians have been here for 450, 500 years now. And uh, they've been missionizing the indigenous people for 450 years, 450, 500 years. But still again, I ask, where is your fruit from that? And so there's, there's got to be something that is going on. And uh, I kind of I grabbed a little piece of the Bible that said, uh, 
If you pray without love in your heart, you are just a clanging cymbal. And then I also pulled a little piece of the Bible out that says, if you do good deeds, but do good deeds without love in your heart, then you're just a gong. And my fear and my worry is by the fruit that is not in the tree, I have to ask, where's your fruit? And so for a long time, I think the church has been making a lot of noise. So part of that is we need to get to a place and a space where we start to get love in our heart so that when we do get that love in our heart, now when we pray, God is able to do great and mighty things. It's a piece of that love that the Father loved the Son so much. It's a piece of that love into our heart that the Father loved the Son so much that it was able to atone for over 7 billion sins. But we have to find out how do we get the love in our heart so that when we pray we do good deeds, that God can do great and mighty things with that. I've even had it once where um, I didn't even speak this prayer out into existence. I don't remember what the prayer was, but I do remember thinking, God, I didn't even say that out loud. And he answered it. I didn't even say that out loud, and he answered it. And he's like, John, I know your thoughts. I'm like, oh. So it's the thoughts, deeds, and actions that we do that uh, create the spiritual surrounding that is around us. We've got to get love in our hearts. So uh, for, for those that were brought here unwillingly because they were on the slave ships and those that were brought here unwillingly because they were made to... Uh, build the railroads and stuff like that. It doesn't as much pertain to them at all because they weren't brought here. But to anyone else that is here because it's a, it's a great place for a new beginning. Hey, yeah, that's good. It's a great place for a new beginning. Uh, how did that new beginning happen? So if I was to walk down the street, and maybe it's a street like this one here, or a subdivision sort of place. And I'm walking down the street, and I walk down the street, and, as I'm, and it's like house, 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 house. And as I'm walking down the street, I walk up a driveway, and I walk up the driveway, and there's stairs up to the, to the front door, and I walk up the stairs and check the door, and it's open. And I'm like, oh, right on. So I walk up the, I walk into the house, I walk up the stairs of the house, and there's the living room here, and there's the kitchen over there, and there's the kitchen table, and I go sit down at the kitchen table. <laughs> and I'm sitting at the kitchen table, and, and the wife comes walking down the hallway because she heard some noise. And she's just like, who are you? And what the heck are you doing in my house? I'm like, well, I'm John. And uh, kind of hungry. And she goes, well, you need to get out of my house. I'm like, well, actually, I'm six foot three and 270 pounds, 75 pounds now. I'm bigger than you are, and I'm not leaving. And she's just, you know, angry and frustrated. So by the things that she is saying and the things that I am proclaiming that I'm not leaving begins to create a spiritual covering over this household by the thoughts, deeds, and actions that we do think and say. And so then the husband comes walking down the hallway because he hears the ruckus going on. And he's just like, who are you? I'm like, well, I'm John. And he goes, well, actually, I don't care what your name is. Get out of my house. And I said, well, again, I'm six foot three. You're not. I'm 275 pounds. You're not. I'm not leaving. 
And so there becomes this animosity kind of thing going on, this fester and turmoil and trouble, because I won't leave. I'm just like, I'm here, I'm hungry, I'm staying. And they're like trying to tell me to get out and leave and go. And uh, all this anger that is going on in the household and all this defiance that is going on in the household cannot happen without gathering a spiritual covering around it. We, we, we actually, you know, it's like the Lord of the Rings, I guess. It's a real thing. We call in by doing good deeds, we bring a spirituality. By doing bad deeds, we bring a spirituality. So what is the spirituality over this household now? If I was to walk down the street and I walk up a driveway and I walk up the stairs to the front door and I knock on the front door and no one answers, so I knock again because the wife was sleeping. But she comes to the door now and she says, uh, uh, yeah, who are you? And I'm like, well, I'm, actually I'm John and I haven't really eaten in the last couple of days. I was wondering if you could share some breakfast with me. And she sort of hums and haws and bees like, well, you know, it's a meal. It shouldn't be much of a problem. So she invites me in. There's that word again. Changes everything. It's critical. It's key. Invited in. When I welcomed you to this land, as long as you're willing to journey with the First Nation people in a good way, heart, mind, and, and uh, good way. Invited in. It changes everything. So I'm invited into the household. She brings me upstairs. I sit down at the kitchen table. She starts cooking breakfast, and the husband comes down and just like, who are you? And the wife goes, oh, this is John. He kind of knocked on the door and uh, was hungry, so I said we'd feed him some breakfast. Changes everything of what is going on in that household and everything that, that covers it. But in the first household, I was sharing this story one time, and, and all of a sudden I kind of got emotional because I was thinking, in the first household... I never left. I'm like, I'm still there to this day. And it's not even me that's there anymore. It's my ancestors. Or it's my next generations and next generations that are there. And they love the house. They've renoed it. They put an extension on there, invited more family in. But the family that owned it didn't really fit, so they're in the basement. And even in just a little piece of the basement. But the other newcomers, they're enjoying it. They're on the patio. It's a great time. What do they care if the other family's in the basement? I don't know. To me, that doesn't quite seem right. At some point, there has to be some sort of acknowledgments. At some point, there has to be some kind of rightnessnesses. For God to pour out his righteousness upon us, he has been saying to me, anyways, this may not be theological or biblical, but he's been saying to me, John, without rightnessness of relationship, I cannot pour out my righteousness upon you. And I'm like, huh. And I share that. And I think people, people will say, well, John, that's my Juanitan voice, well, John, truly I tell you that God has poured out his righteousness upon me because I am so comfortable. 
I sit here in a comfortable chair in a comfortable church. I drove my comfortable car or walked from my comfortable house where I sit in a comfortable chair and watch comfortable TV, eat a comfortable meal at my comfortable kitchen. So truly, truly, I tell you, and if I'm being a little bit snarky, sometimes I'll say it three times. Truly, 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 I tell you, God has poured out his righteousness upon me because I am so comfortable. But to that I say, I can't find in the Bible, uh, maybe it's just because I haven't read it enough, but I cannot find in the Bible where it says, pick up your cross daily and follow me and you will be comfortable. Can't find it. But I can find in the Bible where it does say we have an amazing creator who created everything. And in everything he created in the garden. In the garden he created man and out of man he created woman. And woman and man were there able to eat of everything. But they were deceived. I can find that garden. I can find that story. That story that we're through beautiful relationship of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That salvation was birthed into existence. So again I come right back down around to... Is relationship important? Thanks for sharing. And we're very grateful that you're here and uh, starting to like extend that relationship, relationship to us by sharing your story and uh, sharing your ministry. And obviously your passion is, uh, is evident in what you share. So very much appreciate that. I'm going to ask you, do you mind closing us in prayer in one minute? Mm-hmm. Um, again, I, I just want to say, I know that for, we come to church with different expectations on a Sunday, and, uh, and this may not have met your mental expectations for what you were planning on when you were coming here today. But I think it's so important that we hear this voice, and we allow ourselves to sit in, uh, in the spaces where we're listening to to John, in this case, and allow ourselves to respond from a place of faith, like he said, from a place of sacrifice, from a place of openness, and a place of humility and learning to pray uh, with love in our hearts, as John has encouraged us to do. So, um, again, we open ourselves up for conversation afterwards, um, and the band will come and lead us in a time of worship after this, but John, if you wouldn't mind just closing our time off in prayer and then... Um, you, you said you make yourself available after Absolutely, the yeah. chat. Okay, thanks. Yeah, Creator, we just thank you. We love you. We, uh, we do worship you because you and you alone are worthy to be worshipped. And uh, I just ask that you would, you would help us to find ways to, to journey well, to, uh, to move in ways of relationship. And uh, we need love in our heart to uh, do that well. Uh, we need love in our heart to do good deeds well. And it is, uh, it is you that will give us that love. Oh, Lord, I, I, I uh, often joke around about like it, it takes the love of the Father that loved the Son. That that's the kind of love we're looking for. We're not looking for the kind of love that says I love a cheeseburger or a good cheeseburger. But it's, it's your love in our heart. So, yeah, help us on this journey. Help us that we don't spend another 450 years and look back and be asked, oh church, where is your First Nation fruit? But help us that we be able to look back upon in the next few years and be, oh Lord, thank you for the First Nation fruit that you have brought uh, to your church. And uh, yeah, I just pray that we would all, all be able to be uh, part, other that, part of that, whether it's big, small, or, or great and mighty. So yeah, thank you for this day, this gathering, and uh, pray in Sithikwi's name, Haichka.